Hi everyone, and welcome to episode number one of The Anxious Pineapple, a show dedicated to getting curious about our good friend, anxiety. My name is Kayla Chorley, your host and anxious therapist. A friendly reminder that this podcast is in no way a substitute for therapy and does not constitute therapeutic advice. This is simply for informational purposes only. I encourage you to follow up with your own therapist or medical doctor for professional support and advice. Hey friends, welcome to the very first episode of The Anxious Pineapple. I am beyond excited to be here with all of you. It feels kind of surreal to say that this is my podcast. I have always wanted to make one. I've heard so many people say, Kayla, you know, wait until you're at point A, B, C in your career or wait till you achieve X, Y, Z before you create one. But you know what? As much as I appreciate their support and advice, I'm doing it. I feel like I have so much I want to share about my experience with anxiety and I want to make mental health accessible and I'm hoping I can do both of those things through this podcast. My main goal is always to encourage you to be curious about anxiety. We've kind of given anxiety this bad rap over time and we said it's a bad thing, but you know what? Anxiety is actually there to protect us. So I wonder what would happen if we shifted our mindset from seeing anxiety as an enemy to seeing it as something that's a protector and perhaps an opportunity to rebuild that relationship with anxiety and maybe even befriend it. Now, I can tell you with all certainty that anxiety is here with me as I record this podcast. The amount of times I have re-recorded this, I'm pretty sure is in the thousands at this point, and that honestly might be an understatement. Um, But despite anxiety being here with me, we're still moving forward, and I'm excited about this. Today, I really want us to dive into the heart of anxiety. What is anxiety? How does it show up in our lives? And what actually happens inside your body when you are anxious? All right, let's do this. Now, before we dive into the meat and potatoes of this podcast, (laughs) I love when people say that, I thought I would take a, a, a few minutes to just explain my personal relationship with anxiety. And this is really um, what has inspired me to create this podcast. As I mentioned, kind of in the intro part of this podcast, the big thing for me is making mental health accessible. When I was younger, I had no idea that I was dealing with anxiety. In fact, I had no idea what anxiety even was. No one talked about it. It wasn't something that was mainstream. It was something that I was dealing with, but I I didn't know that at the time. It's funny to look back now on things in my childhood and in my life that I'm like, huh, that was definitely anxiety. (laughs) 
So from a very young age, I knew that I absolutely hated being apart from my parents. I was the the kid that did not like sleepovers. If I went to a birthday party where it was a sleepover birthday party, I was always the one that would ghost after a uh, cake and and all the activities were done because I just I didn't want to be apart from my parents. My cousin lives in the country. It's about a 40-minute drive one way, and I remember trying desperately to stay overnight and uh waking up at like 1 a.m and crying and my poor dad had to come pick me up. So that was something I look back now and I'm like, huh, not wanting to be apart from my parents. I definitely had an anxious attachment style and I still do. I I know this about myself. Attachment styles are kind of a spectrum. So for me, I I lean more towards the secure now, but it, I had to do a lot of work with that. And there's times where I flutter back to that anxious attachment style for sure. Um, I also would cry when routines or plans changed. I hated uncertainty. My parents were incredibly punctual when they'd come pick me up from school, which is funny because now I realize that's their own anxiety. Like my mom would be... 30 minutes early to pick me up for school. Um, But anyways, if they were a minute or two late, I would be inconsolable. Any sort of change of plans would be really difficult for me to kind of wrap my head around. And and that was always a challenge. Mostly when I was younger, as I got a, a little bit older, I started to kind of roll with it a bit more. But looking back, I was like, yep, anxiety. (laughs) Um, And perfectionism. Truly, perfectionism is something I still contend with. And I I said it kind of in the intro part again, that uh, I re-recorded this podcast, I don't even know how many times. Um, And again, that's my perfectionism coming out. It wants me to be perfect because it feels like if I'm not perfect, other people will judge me. And um, that would be upsetting. So it's there. It's trying to do its job and protect me from, from criticism. Which is interesting because generally perfectionism for most of us shows up as self-criticism. <laughs> so it's almost like we're doing it before anyone else can do it. Now, I was saying I grew up in the 1990s, early 2000s, that's when I was in uh, school, and mental health was starting to be talked about, but mostly with negative connotations. Um, Essentially, it was like, people are crazy kind of attitude. So I don't know about you, but the amount of exposure I got to mental health support and literacy was limited, if not non-existent. Now, let me paint you a picture. Kayla is anxious in elementary. I go to junior high. Kayla's even more anxious. I get to high school. Kayla's even more anxious. And then, of course, university rolls around. And by that time, I have to say my anxiety was essentially through the roof. Um, Perfectionism completely took over for me in university. And I I was so focused on my studies and achievement that really I started to shut out a lot of things. I I stopped doing things that I enjoyed. I really shut out my family and my friends. And when I did spend time with them, I wasn't fully present. 
you know, my body was there, but my mind was wandering. I was so fixated on what I had to do next and and what I wanted to achieve that I could never be in the moment. As you can imagine, exam time was not my favorite. And I honestly can't think of one person that I've ever talked to that's like, yeah, love exam time. (laughs) But for me, exam time was always riddled with crying. And I remember just telling myself over and over again, I can't do this, I'm going to fail, and all sorts of things like that. So it would completely make my brain go offline. But somehow, despite all of this, I managed to maintain a perfect 4.0 GPA. And I don't say that to be like, oh man, Kayla's incredibly smart. Um, I say that because a lot of us are very functional in how we how we go about our our lives yet for many of us we're struggling inside and i know for me i was able to impress a lot of people around me with that gpa but internally i was i was really having a hard time and i didn't really have any tools i didn't know how to cope or navigate that part of me And I really wish that I would have had someone just sit me down and explain what anxiety is, how it works, and to kind of normalize the experience. I think that was the biggest thing is I thought what I was dealing with was different than anyone else. And the truth is so many of us experience anxiety yet we don't talk about it. So we don't know that we are experiencing some of that same sort of anxious feeling. So I just assumed that everyone else was living their best lives where I was over here struggling. But the truth is, that probably wasn't the case at all. There's so many of us in this together. We just never talk about it. Now... I would have really loved for someone to tell me there was nothing wrong with me and that all humans deal with anxiety in some form or another. So if you need to hear that today, let me say that to you right now. There is nothing wrong with you. All humans deal with anxiety in some form or another. Now, fast forward to the present. (laughs) Do I still deal with anxiety? Absolutely, I do. That part of me has not disappeared, and I don't anticipate that it will disappear, and that's okay. My focus now is understanding this anxious part of me and what it's trying to accomplish. I have completely changed my career path. I was an educator Um, a science teacher, a physics teacher. And while I loved teaching, and I still do when I get an opportunity, I have switched careers to take on a more dedicated stream to mental health. And I own a private practice called Pineapple Therapy. My main focus is working with clients who are dealing with anxiety. I want people to have a different experience than what I had I want people to have tools and to really get curious about anxiety, essentially to question whether anxiety has to be an enemy or if it's possible to actually befriend it. 
This is work I continue to do with myself and I encourage my clients to do in session. And I hope that this podcast will also inspire you to do that work too. All right, let's get started with the real reason we're all here, anxiety. Let's imagine that you were walking down the street right now and someone comes up to you and says, hey, I will give you a million dollars right now in cash if you can tell me what anxiety is. Now, for most of us, we have experienced anxiety. We live with anxiety. We deal with it all the time. But if we had to describe it, if we had to define it and say, what is it really? For many of us, that would be very challenging. So I'm going to help you out with that. I have a definition that I've pieced together that I think will be a really user-friendly way to help you kind of navigate and define what anxiety truly is. Now, at its simplest form, anxiety can be thought of as future-based worry. Essentially, we are anticipating some sort of threat, and in response, we are preparing our body to take care of it. In this sense, anxiety is a protector. Its job is to analyze things so that we can avoid harm and stay alive. I know, our main goal as humans is essentially to stay alive. (laughs) Now, for some of us, anxiety gets so good at its job that it starts to overanalyze things and it perceives non-threats as being particularly dangerous. When this happens, what we actually see is that we might overestimate a perceived threat. In other words, we might anticipate the threat being completely unavoidable or traumatic or completely life-altering. And we are going to then underestimate our ability to handle this threat. For example, an exam at school, we might overestimate that the exam is going to ruin our entire lives. If we do bad on this exam, oh man, that's going to ruin our entire life plan. We're going to fail high school and then we're not going to get into university and then we're not going to get a job and then we're not going to get married. And then you see how we are overestimating the threat. Really, it's a piece of paper. It doesn't define who we are. Yet we have placed so much emphasis on the importance of this exam. Now, we do the opposite when it comes to our ability to handle it. We underestimate that. So now we're looking at this exam and we're saying, we can't do this. This is impossible. We will never do well on this exam. We're going to fail. It's going to be the most difficult task we have ever done. And this happens for a lot of us when anxiety starts to take over. We overestimate the perceived threat and underestimate our ability to handle that. Notice that I'm saying that a lot. That's like a key factor when it comes to anxiety. Now, the other key piece to know about anxiety is that anxiety loves certainty. 
it likes to try and predict what's going to come next. And often it predicts the worst case scenario because again, it's coming from a place of protection. It wants to say to you, hey, watch out, this could potentially happen. And if that does happen, it's going to be really bad for us. (laughs) So we want to over-prepare. And that's what anxiety essentially wants us to do. It's thinking all the time about all the possibilities and generally worst case so that we are over-prepared to handle them. Now, the last thing about anxiety I'm going to say here is that it's a bit of a triple threat, (laughs) pun intended, and that it impacts our physical, cognitive, and emotional components. This means that we experience physical symptoms, we often experience changes in thought, like worried thoughts, and of course, it impacts our emotional and feeling state. When we're anxious, it doesn't feel great, and it's going to bring some emotion with it, often worry, often sadness, all sorts of things like that. Now, we're going to spend time exploring each of these parts in depth over the course of the podcast, but the one I really want us to focus on today is the physical sensation piece. Let's take a look at what happens in our bodies when anxiety is activated. Say we come across a perceived threat. Now, I say perceived in this case because it really can be anything, and it depends on the individual. For most of us, if there's an axe murderer close to us, we would respond in the same way. We might try to run away or fight them, or we might freeze or fawn. But for a lot of us, what we interpret as a threat is very different. And there can be many reasons for that. Perhaps we have a history with a particular um, thing or event. So maybe there's some trauma background there. Or maybe we have seen this happen to somebody else and so we have internalized perhaps this event or this thing to be potentially harmful for us too. Now let's just choose a random example. Let's say that your friend invites you to a party and you might only know a handful of people. Our brain kicks in, it starts drumming up some worried thoughts like, hey, (laughs) what if you don't actually know anyone or hey what if your friends leave you at the party or what if you have nothing to talk about what if people judge what you say in this case we have started to activate our brain and when we start to interpret a threat and we've been triggered, a very tiny part of our brain called the amygdala starts to sound an alarm. And that alarm indicates to our body that we are under attack and we need to prepare to either fight, flight, or freeze. Now, you might also hear the term fawn. I'm not going to talk about that response in this episode, but we will, I'm sure, touch on it in the future. So the amygdala has picked up on our worry It has sounded this alarm and it has initiated what we call the autonomic nervous system. This is our fight, flight, freeze response. Our adrenaline then begins to kick in and we start to experience some physical symptoms. Now, this is not an exhaustive list, but this might include things like nausea, so kind of like a stomach ache feeling, a tight chest, difficulty breathing, or perhaps hyperventilating in some cases. 
Our skin might turn red, so we might appear red in color. We might start to shake. Sweating is really common. Perhaps a, a really fast heartbeat, etc. Now remember the goal of the system is to prepare you to either fight, flight, or freeze. So the physical symptoms we experience are in line with this goal. For example, we are moving our energy resources towards our muscles. And to do this, we actually slow things down like digestion. And this is why we might feel sick to our stomachs. We are also increasing blood flow to our muscles. We want to get oxygen to our muscles. And this also might be why we appear red in color. And of course, we're tapping into our adrenaline and this can sometimes cause us to shake. So your response to anxiety here, your physical response to anxiety here is biological. If you are shaky when you are feeling anxious, there is a biological reason for that. It is not something you are manifesting. It is not something you are in control of. It is a biological response. Now, if you're like me, <laughs> listening to that list of physical symptoms can sometimes invoke anxiety. <laughs> if that's the case, give yourself some space right now. Maybe pause the podcast and take some deep breaths and reorient yourself to your environment. Often when we experience physical symptoms, we start to actually have worried thoughts about the physical symptoms. <laughs> so essentially, we experience anxiety about our anxiety. This can sound like, oh man, people are going to notice I'm red and I'm shaky. What if they notice that my voice is shaking? Or, oh, I feel really sick right now. What if I uh, get sick in front of people? When this happens and we start to have anxiety about our anxiety, we continue to trigger the amygdala and the autonomic nervous system. In this case, our anxiety about anxiety is perpetuating the cycle. One of the most common questions I get asked is, why can't I rationalize anxiety in the heat of the moment? Well, when the amygdala is activated, it steals energy from other parts of our brain, including what's called the prefrontal cortex. And the prefrontal cortex is responsible for problem solving. It essentially makes our brain go offline and enter a state of hyper-focus, not allowing our brains to do any real thinking beyond taking care of the threat. This is why it's really important when we are engaging in things like breathing exercises and calming techniques that we practice those things even when we are not feeling anxious. This helps us in the heat of the moment when we are feeling activated and hyper aroused to use those tools and make them more accessible. If we're trying to learn a skill in the heat of the moment when we're actually in an anxious state, it becomes impossible because our brains just can't do that. We're not capable of problem solving in that moment beyond taking care of the threat. Now, listen, I get it. 
living out this cycle completely sucks. It's not fun. It's exhausting. And honestly, I wouldn't wish it on anyone. But there are really two important things to remember here. Number one, it is possible to break a cycle by doing something differently. We're going to take a look at different ways of breaking the cycle as we kind of progress through episodes of this podcast. I really want you to leave with some tools. Number two, anxiety is a protector. If we keep that in mind, it feels more like someone who's on our side or something that's on our side, even if it doesn't always act in a convenient or perhaps appropriate way. But its intentions are good. It wants to protect us. It wants to keep us safe and alive. Now, here's the thing about our brains. They are totally old school and cannot tell the difference between an actual threat, like an axe murderer, or something we perceive to be a threat, like an exam or speaking in public or engaging in a social setting. Our brains will respond in the exact same way. Don't believe me? As the wonderful and sassy Lynn Lyons would say, ask yourself the following question. What would I do if a grizzly bear magically appeared in front of me right now? Go ahead and imagine it. I'll wait. Now, here's how you might have responded to that question. Number one, you might attempt to run away. If this is your first instinct, you might commonly avoid tasks or things that make you feel anxious. Number two, you might play dead in hopes the bear bypasses you. If this kind of sits and resonates with you, you might be prone to freezing when facing an anxiety-provoking task in hopes that the the threat will disappear. Or number three, you might try and fight the bear off. If this is your first instinct, you may become aggressive when you feel anxious as a means of kind of dealing with the threat, but also trying to take care of the general uncomfortableness that is anxiety. Let me point out that there is absolutely no right or wrong response here. We are simply gaining some insight into how we might respond when anxiety shows up for us. For me, I know I am 100% a runner. I would attempt to outrun that bear knowing full well that it is humanly impossible. (laughs) But I would do it, and I would do it every single time. Now, I can relate this back to my real life as well. When I was in high school, I had a very intense track record of um, leaving part-time jobs. I would start a job, I would work maybe a week or two, and then I would leave. As soon as I felt anxious, I just stopped showing up (laughs) and I would avoid. That's 100% what I would do. I'd avoid the feeling of being anxious so I wouldn't go back to the job again. And I actually wouldn't even pick up the paycheck that I earned for working the few days that I did. That's how bad it was for me. I just, I couldn't. I didn't want to be uncomfortable. 
So I 100% ghosted a whole bunch of establishments. Like, for example, I was a hostess at Chili's for maybe a day or two. I remember going in the bathroom and crying uh, while I was on my shift and phoning my parents and being like, I don't know if I can do this. <laughs> um, yeah, so that's that's an example. I worked at SportCheck for, I would say, maybe the longest out of all of my jobs for like a month. And I also kind of ghosted Giant Tiger as well as a cashier for a while. So whoops. <laughs> Thanks for listening. I hope you learned something today about your own anxiety. If you have questions that you would like answered about anxiety on this podcast, connect with me on Instagram. My handle is at pineappletherapyyeg. Enjoyed this podcast and want to help make mental health more accessible? Spread the love by following it, liking it, rating it, and taking it out for dinner. (laughs) Just kidding.